Hello, just to let you know that this episode contains strong language. It's me again. It's February 2021. I'm in my car and I'm on my lunch break. And I feel pretty stressed out, to be honest. I feel very conflicted. And I feel like I've been a bit of a dickhead. Because only in the last two months, I've received three text messages from old friends saying, Hi, I'm moving down to Cornwall. I've always wanted to do it and I'm finally leaving the city and uh, I'm going to come live by the sea. So let's hang out when I move down. And part of me wants to say, brilliant, welcome. And I really hope they get stuck into the community and find their place here. And the other part of me feels really torn. Because I'm so aware of the issues going on here right now. The lack of affordable homes and the high demand that is pushing the house prices up and up. I'm worried about the lack of infrastructure, hospital beds, the roads filling up, the bins overflowing, uh, the surge in footfall in the countryside, causing damage to the landscape and the ecosystem. I'm worried that people will move here with no understanding for what came before and that they project their own fantasies onto this place. And therefore, the strangeness and the odd little things about Cornwall that I love get lost. And I know I can't put all that into a reply to a text message. But right now, I have no idea how to truthfully reply to my mates. Listening back to this now, I feel a bit embarrassed. There's a whiff of dangerous rhetoric at the heart of what I'm saying. It sounds like some of the people I remember speaking in favour of Brexit or talking in an unsavoury way about immigration. I think my main concern was about how Cornwall can often be seen as a place of fantasy whilst ignoring the reality. So why do so many people want to come here? To understand this, first we need to go back. Cornwall was once famous for its mining, fishing and farming. It was predominantly a working-class population. For centuries it was remote, inaccessible and cut off by its own natural border, the Tamar River. It was faster to travel by sea than by land. But this changed, however, with the coming of the railway. In 1904, the Cornish Riviera Express started running from Paddington to Penzance. Suddenly, Cornwall was accessible. But nobody calls it the Cornish Riviera down here. That's a marketing slogan given to Cornwall by Great Western Railway. It was designed to entice the metropolitan visitor. And it worked. Throughout the rest of the 20th century, Cornwall rose in fame as a world-renowned tourist destination. The English pour into Cornwall every year, but now they come not to conquer, but to play. It became romanticised. I want to walk in the wind and watch the waves breaking against the Cornish rocks as it popped up in novels, music, films and TV shows. The wooded stretches of the river fell, lie waiting for the yachtsmen from the Garden City. So no wonder people would want to come on holiday or move here. When you look at Cornwall through that lens, it's escapism, a lifestyle, a dream. Anything you want it to be, if you've got the money. 
I wanted to meet people from both sides of this ever-growing battle between fantasy versus reality. Is there a way to hold back the incoming tide of gentrification? Let's find out in The Reason Why. Episode 2, Pornwall. Sometimes I think I hate this place. I hate it. I don't hate Cornwall. I love Cornwall. I hate what it's becoming. Part of me wants to run away. What am I doing this for? Why am I struggling so hard to stay somewhere which doesn't seem to want me? This is Oliver Berry. He's a writer and photographer from Falmouth. What you're asking people to do is to move somewhere because they love it as a place, not as a fantasy, not as a image. And that means accepting all its crappy bits and its weirdness and its spikiness and its kind of complicated parts, you know, the bits that aren't the way you want them to be. Because the desire is always to smooth them away. Once you start smoothing away those kind of rough bits, which is exactly what Cornwall makes Cornwall different and unique. But what is it that makes Cornwall different and unique? A lot of the time, I find this hard to answer. So I wondered how Ollie would define it. I remember Cornish accents when I was a kid. When you're a kid, you don't realise the difference. But I was surrounded by Cornish accents, so to me, they were kind of part and parcel of the everyday. Now, I go into shops and it's a surprise to me when I hear a real, proper Cornish accent. And then Ollie went on to say... The strangeness of Cornwall is something that personally has always been incredibly evocative to me. What do you mean by strangeness? The sense that it's somewhere different, I guess, is, is the root of it. But it's not just difference, it's kind of oddness. A strangeness in the landscape, a slightly other quality about the thinking which I think is very Cornish. I guess that comes from living somewhere where you're exposed to the elements in a way that you aren't in other parts of the country. And also less connected to trends and... Distance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely distant. I soon found that Ollie shared some of the same concerns and frustrations that I did about how Cornwall was changing. The thing I would want to articulate that makes me frustrated about it is that you have a lot of change happening which bears no account that this is a place with a past. And I think that's where the process of gentrification is really troublesome. Because if you're essentially erasing because it doesn't fit with what you want a place to be, then that's where you run into problems, I think. Mm. And once things are lost, They don't come back because they're lost, you know? Now, I should explain here 
that the reason why I went to talk to Ollie Berry about this stuff is because a few weeks before, I'd witnessed from afar as he waded into a Twitter battle decrying the Telegraph newspaper columns of Katie Glass. She's made a column out of the trials and travails of being a metropolitan refugee who's now decided that she's going to make a life in. Mm. Have you been following her? Story? A little bit. It's, I mean, it's in the Telegraph, so I try and avoid it if I can. If you want to write about Cornwall, like, write about Cornwall. Don't write about your disappointment that Cornwall isn't the place that you thought it was going to be. Like, one of the good examples was she, she, she was like, oh, I came down and I expected to go on Tinder and find loads of fishermen and farmers. And it's like... You are kidding me, right? Like that, that's either you being provocatively dim or you actually thought that, and I don't know which of those two is worse. Or is it a joke, maybe? It's not, though. <laughs> you read the, the article, it's like... It's not a very funny one. Ollie Berry isn't the only one who has issues with Katie's columns. Here's the actor and comedian Ed Rowe, a.k.a. Kerno King. I mean, there's a Telegraph columnist at the moment that's writing stuff week in, week out, and I've got to be honest, I've not read it, but, you know, the headlines are usually I'm not made to feel welcome or I feel uh, claustrophobic or suffocated in a village. People like me read those headlines and people in London read those headlines, and I'm like, ow, that's just not true. No matter how she feels about Cornwall, those headlines, they are really damaging, really damaging. So he hadn't read the articles, but he had read the headlines. Katie Glass writes a weekly column called What Katie Did Next in Stella magazine, the Telegraph Saturday Supplement. Here's some of her headlines. I hope dating in the countryside would be hot farmers and sexy fishermen. Far from it. Here in Cornwall, women vastly outnumber men. Should I become a lesbian again? I'm surprised by how suffocating village life is. I'm regularly told that I'm not welcome in Cornwall. This last article, published on the 27th of March 2021, really kicked up a stink online. Even I saw it and thought, ugh, another Londoner moving down to live out their fantasy, then realising it isn't all pasties and cream. However, when I actually read the article, which I think a lot of people didn't because the Telegraph website has a paywall, I found Katie's writing to be nuanced and sympathetic to the complex situation. She wrote that, whilst falling in love with this place, some people, in brackets, the minority, seem to delight in telling me I'm not welcome here. So I wanted to get her side of the story. She graciously agreed to meet up with me outdoors in St Just, which was rather busy that day with lots of children. I had this horrendous lockdown, so I broke up with my fiance and had to sort of leave that relationship and that was awful and then within a matter of weeks like lost my job because of covid and then we had been buying a place together so we'd been selling my flat so then i saw my my flat sale went through so then i didn't have anywhere to live mm. so anyway it was mostly a combat me having a midlife crisis yeah. anyway so then blah blah through one thing or another accidentally like ended up in Cornwall I was actually trying to buy something in Wales mm. where we'd lived when I was very little mm. and then my friend here had sort of said oh come to Cornwall and I was I like I don't think I realised how I was really having a bit of a breakdown like it was such a big you know like leaving 
leave your fiance. It's not like a normal breakup. You're like leaving, you know, I thought we were gonna have babies. And so I think I just drove literally until I got to Land's End and there was nowhere else to, so I was running away in this big way. I knew one person in Newlyn, but otherwise. And have you had, did you know it at all before? No, not really, honestly. We know, I never came on, I mean, ironically, I think it would have been too expensive to come on holiday here because yeah, it's like so it. expensive yeah, to come yeah, to Cornwall, yeah. isn't it? Katie tells me that from a journalistic point of view, she thought she'd found herself in an interesting position. So, for example, when the first house I was buying fell through, I was trying to find something to rent here. And, of course, I was in this position where I was like, God, you can't rent anything in Cornwall. It's all bloody holiday let. So it's like four, five hundred a week. And then it's like I try and go on a website and I find something and it goes like that. So I thought, oh, it's quite interesting through me writing about trying to find a flat here. Mm. I can talk about, in not a dry way, mm. just the experience of trying to find a rental mm. in Cornwall. And again, so I thought, oh, I'm quite in an interesting position. I guess what I hadn't seen, because, you know, maybe you don't see yourself from the outside, and I think because the Telegraph has certain connotations for people, was that loads of people would just assume <laughs> loads about me. And yeah. whereas I thought, you know oh, what? I'm positioned between the two, loads of people did not see it like that at all. It was like, you're this invading Londoner. And yeah. I was like, what? On that note, I wanted to know how welcoming Katie had found this place. <laughs> Very few people said to me, you're not welcome in Cornwall. A couple of people had tweeted sort of um, quite negative stuff about... Uh, about the column or about... There was this particular guy who sort of... Is it Ollie Berry? Yeah. My point there was just to say, look, this is not a place, it's not a stage set. It's not a place for you to live out some bizarre fantasy. And that is the thing that's happening that I hate. That encapsulates for me everything that is offensively being eroded about Cornwall being a real place. And then I saw him tweeting at me about, oh, people coming to Cornwall and fantasy filming, and you just see it as a fantastic, mm. which in a way, of course, was accurate, but in a way, that's what I intended. Like, as in, it was a fantasy, a fantasy about just trying to be really positive. Perhaps this debate can be whittled down to the headlines, which most journalists don't write themselves. I know they want to write a catchy headline. That's just the deal. So, like, I guess I wasn't that bothered about it because, you know, you want people to read the article. I assumed that when people read the article, they would see it was like a catchy headline. Some people really took me to task for the headline. A lot of, it became apparent to me, a lot of people contacting me hadn't read the article, yeah. which was like a bit harsh. I wanted to ask Katie one last question. If somebody's listening to this and they were thinking of moving to Cornwall, what, from your experience so far, how would you recommend kind of fitting in and knowing people? Well, I wasn't sure if I should tell you this, mm. but I am thinking of not moving to Cornwall now. Right. Because I just feel... You had enough of it? Ah. Uh, like, pushed you over the edge? Yeah, it was just this interview has been... <laughs> I was just really just trying to be happy. Yeah. Like, after, like, just trying to make... And, like, I didn't think it would be so stressed. Like, I just want to be happy. Just want to go somewhere and be happy and, like, have a nice little life and... Like the thought, like oh, this anger last week, it was like really upsetting. I'm, I'm not a person who like is seeking uh, like aggravation or arguments or, you know, like maybe some people would be all like, yeah, I'm gonna show them and like, <laughs> like, and it makes me just think, oh God, I feel tired. Mm. Like, I just think I might go somewhere that's a bit calmer. Do you know what? Devon. I don't blame you. <laughs> Like, I, don't, I just was writing about what had happened and I'd seen. I wasn't even actually, like, I, I think they're fairly objective. Like, it's just me saying, oh, this, that your only job is to tell the truth. That's my only job. And, like, you shouldn't lie. Yeah. And actually, in a way, maybe it's the truth about what it was like to move to Cornwall.
And then, on the 15th of May 2021, this was the headline of Katie Glass's Telegraph column. The moment I realised my Cornish dream was over for good. There was something I couldn't stop thinking about that Katie had said during our interview. Anything I'd ever read about gentrification had been in Hackney and like London, I guess, areas I was in. And I thought, this is a discussion about gentrification in Cornwall and I've never read that before. The Cambridge Dictionary describes gentrification as the process by which a place, especially part of a city, changes from being a poor area to a richer one. This is true. We nearly always hear about this word within an urban context. It's happened in London, New York, Berlin. The artists are normally to blame. They move into the poorer areas of a city where it's cheaper to live. Soon, they make it cool and attractive to visitors and it becomes the new place to be. This then brings art galleries and coffee shops. On the one hand, it makes a place nicer to live. On the other, the prices go up and the locals can't afford to live there anymore. This has undeniably happened in Cornwall too. Just in my lifetime, I've watched my hometown of Falmouth change for good and for worse. Have you ever noticed that gentrification has visual warning signs that let you know it's coming? Most recently, it's been flat whites, large filament light bulbs and sourdough bread. I remember when the first one of these places opened in Falmouth and it stuck out like a sore thumb. But then another one opened just down the road and then a barber's slash record shop in between. I should confess here that sourdough is my favourite type of bread. I regularly frequent these types of cafes as I, in a way, are exactly their type of clientele. Yet I do also miss the foosty charity shops from my childhood, which have been replaced. Maybe this is just part of growing up or a sign of progress. The one thing I do know is that I can't afford to live in Falmouth anymore. I live in Camborne, a predominantly working class area where it's cheaper to rent. Am I the first wave of gentrification in Camborne? Shit, I shouldn't have told you. Now you'll all be moving here. I've got an excellent mate who recently opened a business selling wood-fired pizza in an old mechanics yard in Penryn, a small town just outside of Falmouth. You could say that he's gentrifying this area. Perhaps in Ollie Berry's words, he's smoothing away the rough edges with a chic London aesthetic and stylish lighting. But maybe this isn't such a bad thing after all. Maybe we can learn to love these incoming hipsters. <laughs> uh, what's my name? Right, what's your name and what do you do? Uh, my name is Danny North and I'm a photographer and a restaurateur. <laughs> I've been a resident of Cornwall permanently for a couple of years and then prior to that, I lived here week on, week off um, for about four years and that was because my um, ex-wife moved down to Cornwall um, and brought our little girl with her. As you can probably tell, Danny isn't from Cornwall. He grew up in Yorkshire and then lived in London. After moving down, he found that slowly but surely his photography work began to dry up. And then Covid happened. Faced with the dilemma of finding work in Cornwall, he took the initiative and approached a man called Adam, who had run a fairly small business selling pizza and ice cream for the past couple of years. So I, I, I got a bank loan and um, approached Adam 
and said to you know basically said to Adam, look, you're running an amazing. It's a little takeaway business. That's all it was. I said, what 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 could it be? You know, like this yard is is beautiful. It's a great space. Uh, you know, and my idea is well, let's put a bar in. Let's build an outdoor seating area. Um, music is at the core of of you know my life so it was always about like a, a playlist which i'd been working on for about six months <laughs> uh, before it even said yes <laughs> and um you know it was it, it's about the vibe and and you know the vibe being the bull wattage being so important and um and adam said yeah let's do it i wanted to know what danny's understanding of gentrification was he told me that previously he'd lived in lewisham in london where he'd witnessed it happening with his own eyes. So there's a lot of cheap rent, and then comes um, hipsters, you know, as people call them, with their ideas, with their ideas and their coffee shops. Mm. Um, but a friend of ours called Danny Parr, who's um, South London born bred, he said, what's wrong with a bit of gentrification? He's saying poor people can't have nice coffee too. Can they afford it? That's the question. That, well, no, it is, but... Um, of course, it's a luxury. There's no doubt about it. Mm. As, as is a pizza. Has it come into your mind when setting up uh, Pizza Please in Penryn? Has it? Have you thought? Oh, is this part of? Do you know what? It 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 hadn't. Again, because I'm naive and optimistic. Mm. <laughs> the internet has brought huge social economic change mm. to small businesses. And, and, it, yeah. and so, what can't you buy on the internet? Sourdough for your toast. A hot, nice coffee. I mean, you can get a pizza from Domino's, but it ain't going to be pizza please quality, is it? <laughs> um, you know, like, those are the businesses that can thrive now because of, of the, you know, the fact that yeah. people get the shit from Amazon. What made me laugh is that when you were quite relieved that there was a yoga place opening up down the road, so that would take... Take the pressure <laughs> off you guys looking like like yeah. sort of hipster wankers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can be a hipster wanker at, at forty five, but um, I'm giving it a damn good go. <laughs> Whether he is or he isn't a hipster wanker, Danny clearly didn't come here originally to live out a restaurateur fantasy. I definitely didn't come to Cornwall pursuing any sort of lifestyle. I came here to be as good a dad as I possibly could be. Mm. That's why. Mm. In my opinion, he did all the right things. He's made something that benefits the community. He saw an opportunity and he made the most of it. Surely that's progress. And what's bad about that? I'll never forget the first year we moved down here. I, you know, I lost my dad to leukemia a long time ago, and um, and in that period, I'd actually been searching for my place in the world, what it, what it meant to me. You know, me and my dad were very close. We worked together. Uh, me and mum and dad worked together for eight years, six days a week for eight years. And that's you know, you develop a closeness to your parents when you when you're like that. And um, and losing him was you know very difficult, and and threw me off kilter. And ever since then, I've been looking for, like, something to be a part of. And then when we moved down here and met Ollie, met you, met all these wonderful people that are part of our life, it, I remember saying to Jenny, it was the happiest I'd been um, since my dad died. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That was a sense of belonging. Like, it's, you know, 
I, th I think community has to be at the core of how humanity can move forward out of all this shit that we're in right now. These conversations raised more questions for me about belonging, the sharing, misrepresentation and overexposure of a fragile place. Find out more next time on The Reason Why. The Reason Why was written, presented and produced by Seamus Carey. The music was by him too. Additional production on the theme tune was by Mr. B.J. Jackson. Graphic design by Philida Blumel. Photography by Steve Tanner. Special thanks to all our contributors, as well as the Holman Climax Male Voice Choir for the sampling of their 1974 album, The Reason Why. The associate producer was Charlie Bunker. The executive producer was Paul Dodgson. This was an impossible producing and Seamus Carey production funded by Arts Council England. 